Hey everyone, I've got a real treat for you today and I'm going to wager a bet. If you're thinking about implementing coaching in your school, I reckon this conversation is going to be one of the most useful conversations you've heard to date. Hey everyone, it's Shane Leaning. Welcome back to Global Ed Leaders, a podcast about education across countries and cultures. I'm an organizational coach and in this show I learn with the teachers, leaders and innovators making a difference around the world. And my guest today is Rachel Lofthow. There are a lot of new voices in coaching, right? But there's no one I know with a deeper and more nuanced knowledge than Rachel. Rachel's a professor of teacher education at Leeds Beckett University in the UK and founder of Collective Ed, which is a research and practice centre which focuses on coaching, mentoring and professional learning in education. And I am very fortunate and privileged to be a fellow for Collective Ed. Rachel's got a huge social media presence, especially on X, so you might have seen her there. And we had such a good conversation that I split it into two episodes. So in this first episode, let's dive in where Rachel starts with the tricky task of defining what coaching is. How would I define coaching? There's a couple of words that I would try and emphasize. And one of them is dialogue. So it is related to um, the way that people enter into dialogue with each other with purpose and with focus. And in an education setting, uh, we're thinking about a professional dialogue. And we can unpack what we mean by dialogue until we're blue in the face. But let's at least acknowledge that it's about two people sharing time and space in conversation where both people are likely to make um, a a valid, uh, personal, um, informed contribution and that it's a responsive process. So it's not one that's scripted. It's not one that's predetermined. Um, I think that's one of the things that we perhaps need to acknowledge about this form of dialogue. I also tend to talk about it as a sustained process. And I think there are two ways of using that word sustained. And and again, both are valid in this kind of conversation about coaching. Where at all possible, I think the sustained um, element comes from those kind of return visits. So the coaching isn't simply a one-off episode of dialogue. It, It tends to be something which is planned for, scheduled, has, has a duration. Um, and over that time, the coach and the coachee can build that dynamic and unique working relationship. So it, it, in, in ideal circumstances, it's something which is sustained over time. But sometimes that's not possible. Um, and it doesn't mean that if you just have one really thoughtful, focused coaching conversation, uh, that it will do no good. If in that moment the focus is sustained, the purpose is sustained, the attention that the people give each other is sustained, it can still have quite a considerable impact, I think. So I think that notion of something which is sustained, focused, it's it's a dialogue uh, between, in this case, two professionals who are taking an active and empowering uh, position for the other person. I think that really matters when we're talking about coaching. If we're talking about it in education, then its core purpose is to support the individual being coached to do their best work in education. And uh, to do their best work, they need a space in which they can develop their thinking and uh, develop their decision making so that their practice is enhanced. 
So the coaching space should be one in which high quality, high order thinking is promoted and in which decision making might at least be rehearsed or acknowledged as something that's that's going to be coming in the future and that the coaching dialogue has supported that decision making because that will then support practice. I'm interested then, Rachel, like, so the way you've defined coaching makes sense to me. Listeners of this podcast will have no doubt heard of coaching through so many channels now in education, saying people saying you should be doing coaching, whether that's organizations approaching them saying, let's offer your leadership coaching, or whether it's let's do what some people call instructional coaching with your teachers um, or team coaching, or the word is just everywhere at the minute. Do you, why is this just popped up? It seems like it's popped up out of, out of nowhere. And of course, it hasn't popped out of nowhere. It's just gotten very popular very fast. This tends to happen to all sorts of phenomena in education, particularly nowadays where social media helps things spread so quickly. Um, it's not the first time in, a, in an English context that it seemed, has seemed to be the new thing and, and the buzzword and that everybody needs to be coaching. But typically what's happened is that in the past it's surged and then it's declined and it's surged and then it's declined and we're absolutely in a surge phase. I think the thing which maybe we're more aware of now is how global that surge is. Now, whether that's because it is the first time in some places that this um, you know, growing awareness and use of coaching has really happened, or whether it's because we just weren't connected well enough to know that that's been, been the case in the past. So you asked about why why has it suddenly become a thing? I guess partly because it's it's one of the ways that education is connected to the wider world. So coaching in other sectors has grown significantly and education doesn't sit in a silo, in a bubble. If if it looks like coaching for executives in business is a good idea, then you know we've got a huge growth in the role of executive in education. Well, they all want a coach as well. If we've got more coaches uh, being, uh, you know, undergoing training, development, calling themselves coaches, they need an outlet. They need people to work for and with. So there's a push, I think, from a market that is driving um, a coaching practice. And also, I think, because we are becoming increasingly aware of how, although we might have a mass workforce, well, we do have a mass workforce in, you know, in the millions, I guess, in the world. I haven't ever tried to count the number of people who work in education. It is only as good as the individuals who are working in it. And coaching is one of the few ways where we can, when done well, really acknowledge the role and the development of the individual. So I guess it's that growing awareness of the connection between the system at scale, the organisation such as a school or or a, um, a trust of schools, a group of schools, and the and the individual who works within that. So I guess there's a whole host of reasons, but without doubt, um, it has probably raced ahead a little bit quicker than our understanding of how to make it race ahead well. Uh, it's interesting you say that, Rachel, because I was just thinking you must just be so happy given the work you do is all around coaching and mentoring with with university. So you must just be bouncing around with joy that everyone's talking about coaching at the minute. Um, no, <laughs> I, I, I am. I am. And I'm not. It's, it's great that there's a spotlight on it. It's great that there's active engagement with it and that people are concerned 
about the contribution that it can make and want it, want it to make a contribution. And I think, yes, it, that is a really good thing. Uh, because if it just happens in a, in a dark corner of the education world, then you know we, it can't possibly reach its potential. I think it's like a lot of things in education where the real knowledge base that exists to support it is still emerging. But the demand to have something up and running in a hurry uh, doesn't really acknowledge that slow and emerging knowledge base. And of course, the other thing which I think we're, we're not generally good at is connecting the different knowledge bases. So, you know, universities are working much more in an interdisciplinary fashion, uh, but even that slow progress even where that's where, you know, in a university, that's often a headline, lots of interdisciplinary research, interdisciplinary teaching. But we don't necessarily um, carve out that similar space in education. Although, as I say, we might have adopted coaching because it happens outside of education and we quite like a bit of that. We don't always learn from outside of education to inform what we're doing. And I'm, I'm not being, you know, nasty or critical. I'm just observing what happens. I am hopeful but also cautious the intent is good and it's great that people are really thinking about the value that coaching could bring was was what you're saying is that the research base isn't secure enough for people to be jumping in this fast is that what you meant no i, I think there is a, a good research base um, and i'm not on top of all of it at all but i think there is a valid research base but what i think is happening is that a fair degree of that is not that accessible or is overlooked. And so what we typically do in, in any sector where we're pressured in terms of time and resource is we select parts of a research base or parts of an evidence base to build practice on and to justify that practice from. And hopefully when it's working well, that practice then recombines um, with the research base by contributing to it because the practice itself becomes researched and evaluated. But again, those dots do take time to join up um, and we're not always um, as speedy as people might like us to be. Yeah, it it reminds me you've written a bit about, you called it making making more sense of teacher, teacher coaching. I mean, given it's rolling out fast, are there some common misconceptions that you're seeing that stand out particularly to you? Yes, I think there's one or two. One of them is just simply, I think, around language, use of language and understanding of language. And you mentioned instructional coaching at the beginning of this uh, conversation, and I think that's a really classic example. So if we think about instructional coaching, the the background to that is essentially a North American practice. You, that The use of that word instructional comes from the North American education sector, where instruction means something different to what it means in some other locations in the world. So in the North American context, the word instruction in education has always really just meant teaching and therefore teaching for learning, or it's another word for pedagogy. So when we think about instruction with that hat on, we recognise that it doesn't simply mean what sometimes in the UK context, for example, we might mean by instruction, which is to sell, to tell somebody what to do, to give somebody information which they will use directly in their next you know, decision or their next um, action. Um, and sometimes, of course, instruction in our context means very clearly it's a direction. You must follow this instruction. That's what I'm implying if I use the word instruction. 
I mean, it takes me right back to when I was in the very early days when I was training teachers. And I hate that word training, actually, so I shouldn't have used that. But as a teacher educator working, uh, you know, day in, day out with a cohort of student teachers, um, we would think very much about the way that teachers talked in the classroom uh, and all the different components of that talk. And we would make very clear definition between instruction and ex- and explanation. That in our context in England, it was helpful to be able to define instruction as I am asking, well, not I'm asking, I'm telling you this now because I need you to. And you would break down the steps according to who you were telling. Um, you know, if somebody, you would, if I was on a geography field trip with a group of students, I would need to give some instructions around safety, for example. I would also need to give some instructions around how to implement a geography fieldwork technique so the data we collected had some validity. Those are clear instructions. It's not the same as an explanation. Um, an explanation is, is um, a form of words where we explore an idea, we um, demonstrate our understanding of an idea, we offer that to somebody else in a way that hopefully they can engage with, but it isn't the same as an instruction in our context in England. So unfortunately, I think what's happened is that because the word instruction was used originally in the form of coaching that is now called instructional coaching that originates from the US, when it's become translated into some other contexts, the word instruction has been mistranslated. And it has come to mean in some settings um, a situation in which somebody's giving somebody instruction about how to teach. And that's different to what we mean by instructional coaching in its original form. And the reason why that matters, I would argue, is because a lot of the evidence base around instructional coaching is from the US, where much of the instructional coaching does not have that, I am giving you an instruction about how to element, because that's not what it ever meant. We are losing the, if you like, the valid use of that evidence base because we're drawing on one form of evidence from one form of coaching and applying it as a justification of another practice altogether. And that does matter because the thread has become very, very thin. A couple of weeks ago, I had quite a heated conversation with a colleague, someone who is leading a lot of what's called instructional coaching. Uh, across across many schools, who I put that same challenge to them. I said, but isn't this a misinterpretation of the word instructional from its uh, initial North American context? And they said to me, no, not at all, Shane. There's not, there's not evidence. There may be evidence of individuals at school levels maybe getting a bit confused, but the organizations that are putting together instructional coaching models understand very well. And they cited to me, they said, the Bambrick Santoyo method of instructional coaching is that method and and that's from you know uh, and that's perfectly valid so they they said it's not um it's not changed what was interesting is where i was coming from is the term instructional coaching in my whole experience had come from what you might call the jim knight approach or this kind of approach which which had a set of connotations that you described I mean, what, what's your feel? You do you you know the Bambrick Santoyo work? Is that does is that something that's contradicting what a lot of the other literature is saying? 
I don't know it as well. I will I will concede to that. Again, what we might have there is, uh, well, every discipline splits, doesn't it? The, the, nothing stays unified and uniform. Nobody's got a trademark on the word instructional coaching. It's not copyrighted to anybody. So, of course, over time and in different locations, people have legitimately chosen to use similar language to describe things that might look on the surface to be very much in common, but some of the detail underneath is not so much in common. So I think, yes, that person's right. There are two tra- traditional, makes it sound like we're talking hundreds of years ago, but there are two um, ways in which that term evolved in, in the US. Um, but I guess the other part of that is we could be arguing about whether it's the word instructional that is used in more than one way, but we could also be arguing about whether the word coaching is used in more than one way. Because instructional still talks about teaching and learning. It still talks about the practice that teachers undertake in their classrooms. So it might be the coaching is being determined to look slightly different in the two different models, as opposed to we've misunderstood the word instruction. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And it, it reminds me, I'm part of a a club, you know, in Shanghai called uh, the, the Shanghai Coaching Circle, uh, which sounds as dark as it is, but uh, uh, it was um, we. I, I got into quite a, a uh, an interesting conversation, and because the many of the my colleagues in the group are obsessed with what they call pure coaching, pure coaching, and um, and uh, anything else is not coaching to them. But what I've experienced in education is it seems that everyone I speak to has a slightly different version of what coaching is and is that what you're saying is the problem because we're not building systematically on what's being studied and researched and proven to work i think there is there are issues that emerge when we don't build systematically on on research and know what the evidence base is referring to but i also think we have to be very um, pragmatic and acknowledge that language is very elastic And so, of course, a word like coaching will have a number of connotations. And you can add a word at the beginning or you can add a word at the end, you know, before or after coaching. And it will it will create a nuance that otherwise we might not even appreciate. So the notion of open coaching. Is that the word you used? Clean, Um, open, pure, 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 (laughs) clean, open coaching. There's all sorts of words yeah. uh, that we might use to describe a form of coaching where, um, for example, it is not in- anticipated that the coach has any uh, professional or interdiscipline or disciplinary expertise underpinning their practice as a coach. They would have expertise as a coach, but they wouldn't necessarily need to have expertise, for example, as an educational leader, as a teacher, or if they were working in the you know, medical field as a clinician as a medic, they are a coach and they use clean, pure coaching approaches. People can do that anywhere they want to. We can bring that kind of practice into education if we choose to. It will certainly have a certain colour and flavour and connotation and, uh, uh, and likely impact. The chances are very limited that that will be available en masse in education. And also, If we think about when you take a practice and you locate it in a system, things inevitably start to reshape. What I always used to say, I probably haven't said it for a while actually, is that 
unfortunately, in most education settings, we haven't got an infinite amount of time and an infinite resource. We are unlikely to be able to use a coaching model that is entirely pure because of the gestation that would be needed to get to the point where the person undertaking the practice as a leader or a teacher has really been able to draw effectively on the outcomes of that slow gestation of coaching to make the difference. We're always looking for impact, which is, if not urgent, at least quite immediate. You know, So we are quite right to say when we're working in coaching and education, there is value in having a coach who is able to read a situation in a way that is really informed by their own experience, their own understanding of that context. And then their expertise as a coach comes from the extent to which their reading and understanding of a situation that they see unfolding in front of them, the person they're coaching or they hear being discussed by the person they're coaching, their expertise comes in knowing to what extent their own experience has validity in this moment and might be drawn upon to help them coach that person. It's a slightly different expertise associated with that form of coaching than with a purely clean coaching approach, if you see what I mean. Yes, I see. And with schools at the minute, when they're discussing coaching, I mean, most of them are talking about a flavour of instructional coaching. Given there is confusion around the term, where would your advice school leaders start if they want to start investigating this? Because there are voices everywhere. It's such, I mean, I've even been online just, you know, in my journey as, 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 a, as a developing coach, getting myself all in knots and confused by all the different narratives. I can't imagine what it's like to be a full-time school leader and to have to make decisions as to whether you're going to implement coaching practices into your, into your school. I think they need to ask themselves, first of all, what it is they hope coaching would bring in their setting, which isn't already augmented or facilitated by something else. So what what is the value added they are looking for? And in order to answer that question, they really need to make a, a pretty full assessment of what's working well and what where the gaps might be. So that You'd think that would be, well, it is kind of obvious for any you know, new initiative, whether it's coaching or anything else. But of course, if you start to ask yourself, well, what, are the, what is the value we want to add? And is coaching the answer? You then need to be, you need to have your feet pretty firmly on the ground as opposed to your head in the sky. So you need to be thinking, not just, okay, who can I go to where coaching has been implemented over a sustained period and seems to be working really well. But actually, who is starting out from a similar stage that I'm at from whom I can learn? Because the chances are that the implementation of a practice such as coaching is going to be best done gradually and incrementally as opposed to, you know, in a hurry uh, with a quick, uh, an easy kind of slogan of, you know, every teacher a coach or um, every conversation a coaching conversation. I mean, those are fairly meaningless headlines when we actually ask ourselves about the capacity we've got to create change in a complex, often resource low uh, situation like a school. So the first thing I would do actually is I would start to 
it's, this again it sounds ridiculous, but kind of go back into the their own history of their own institution and work out what it is in the past that they've done well and what lessons they can learn from that that they can start to implement when they're thinking about coaching, rather than always assuming that every bit of expertise they need is external. Quite a lot of the knowledge they need comes from inside their own organization. Now that the knowledge of coaching may not be there, but the knowledge of change in that context and what works and what hasn't worked is we start there. Then I think you have to be pretty clear about, um, as I say, what it what is the gap you're trying to fill. So if it's a gap about um, implementing a, a particular new approach and that you, this is an approach that for whatever reason the school has decided would be relevant and valid for every teacher, for every class, for every every student, then actually ask yourself why you would need coaching. Because coaching works on an individual level um, as opposed to a, an en masse level. Okay, So if it's something about implementing a new approach, then what you really need is uh, some really robust training, enough time for people to practice and rehearse that work, and uh, the, the, the necessary support structure, which might be coaching but might not be coaching, to help progress be made in that area. And a, a, an honest and truthful, if you like, accountability about not just is it being implemented, but if it's being implemented, are we seeing the effects we wanted to see? And if we are seeing the effects we wanted to see, uh, let's just do a double check that that still feels right, that that still fit, fits with us comfortably in our setting. Um, as opposed to, you know, it's tipped into something which we didn't really need or want. It's become more burdensome than we anticipated, or it's eradicated some of the really interesting, rich and diverse practices because now everybody's following a particular furrow or plowing a particular furrow. So there's a whole host of questions that you need to ask, which, if you like, don't even really get you into coaching, because I think what's happening is that people are tipping into coaching before asking some of the important questions. found this part of the conversation with Rachel fascinating, focusing on the effectiveness and the challenges of coaching in schools, including that potential misuse of coaching as a trend or a quick solution. I also liked how we delved into the principles of effective coaching and the importance of tailoring to the individual teacher's need rather than adopting a one-size-fits-all. Now, in the next episode which if you're tuning in live is going to be released in a couple of days, we're going to continue this discussion with an exploration around the relationship between coaching and cognitive science and also how schools can practically implement an inside-out approach, starting with teachers' needs and context. I think you're going to love that part of the conversation, so I'll see you back here. Global Ed Leaders is hosted and produced by me, Shane Leaning with original music by Guillermo Silva. If you like this show, it would mean the world if you could write a review on your podcast platform. So go there now and write me a review. I'll be sure to check it and give it a shout out on the show. And it really does help to get more people listening to this show. If you are online, of course, reach out, share your journey. You'll find me on X using my handle at Shane and LinkedIn using those links in the show notes. But as always, if we don't speak before, I'll see you here next week for the second part of our conversation with Rachel Lofthouse.
Hey, it's me again. I just wanted to jump in at the end to tell you about something exciting that I'm kind of experimenting with at the minute. So at the heart of this podcast is the community. That's you, international school leaders across the world. And I appreciate that a podcast can sometimes feel a little bit one way, right? It's me talking to you or me talking to our special guest and you listening in. And that's great. But what I really love is to get your input and hear from you about your experience, about the reality in international schools where you are. So I've started a new weekly live space. This is hosted on x.com. You can find it by going to my profile on X. Search my name at Leaning Shane. It's the top post for now, a link to the community space where you can join every week on a Thursday where I just go live. Maybe I'm on my own. Maybe there's a couple of people joining me. I get a new co-host every week and we chat about what we reflected on on the most recent podcast or just generally What's happening in your school? What leadership challenges are you facing? And can we come up with some shared solutions together? So if this sounds something that would interest you, a live space for you to collaborate, communicate where your voice is heard, then I would love you to come along. Go to my profile. I'll also do a link in the show notes. If you don't have an X account, no worries. You can still use that link and listen in. You just won't be able to contribute unless you're actually logged into X. I really encourage you to get involved in this super cool community event. So I'll see you there.